Okay. So just to talk a little bit more about um, valid bases of designation for things uh, and relating this to like our offering uh, contemplation. And the fourth one says, I contemplate this food, treating it as wondrous medicine to nourish my body. Okay, so we have that. And then in other circumstances, we're told to contemplate the food, what it looks like after we chew it, as it's digesting the next morning, and to see that it's just kind of basically excrement in a pre-excrement form. You know? <laughs> in other words, it's nothing beautiful or miraculous or wonderful to get attached to. Okay. So then you may say, well, wait a minute, it's miraculous medicine that nourishes my body, and it's also crap. <laughs> Excuse my French. Um, so, which is it? Okay. Now, in an inherently existent world, it would have to be one or the other. It could not be both. Yeah? Because in an inherently existent world, if something is something, it is that independent of all other factors. But we see here that how we regard food is going to change depending on the context, depending on the circumstance. You know? And so it wouldn't do to look at the food as feces right before we eat because then we wouldn't eat. You know? And then our body wouldn't be nourished. We would get ill. We couldn't practice the Dharma. Okay, so we don't use that label on the food in prior to when we eat, unless we're having such amazing attachment that we're going to eat three half gallons of ice cream all by ourselves. In which case, to prevent that, you might think of it. You know, but that's an extreme situation. But you know, here before we eat. Because we are eating, we have to nourish our body. Yeah? So we, we want to have a positive view of the food, but also be very clear about why we're eating. So it becomes wondrous medicine that nourishes our body, because it is medicine. The food we eat is like medicine. It makes us healthy, or if we take the wrong medicine, it makes us sick. Okay? So do you see that we can have two seemingly opposite labels? or interpretations for what the food is, according to the circumstance. Both are valid in their own context. Okay? But you have to know the context to know what it's about. Otherwise, you, you, know, you get confused. Okay? So it's kind of like anything uh, we look at, you know? We can give it multiple labels. I mean, the table could be, become a desk. It be, could become a sewing board, you know, or a, a board, you know, where you measure your cloth. It be, could hold many different labels, okay? And as the Cheetah Madrans say, it does not exist by its own characteristics as the referent or the basis of any of those labels, you know? And that's because things are, you know, conventionally labeled. Yeah. If they were inherently existent, one label to one phenomena, nothing could ever, ever change in no matter the circumstance. Okay? Yeah. 
Now, if you're eating lunch and you call it a sewing board, <laughs> you know, then that's not the right context to, to call that, to give it that label. You give it another label. Okay? So, you know, the basic thing is just to get us to think that, you know, in the conventional world, things are not fixed. They're not solid. There's flexibility. Yeah? And you can look at things from different angles and so on. In an inherently existent world, none of that would be possible. Because things would be what they are, independent of any other thing. Yeah. And that clearly is not the case. Mm-hmm. It, it seems as though you're saying that uh, that we label things conventionally really just to make communication easier and make mm-hmm. it easier mm-hmm. to know how to utilize something and, and produce confusion. Right. Yeah. It seems like the purpose of it. Although mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is the purpose of language, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To be able to communicate and to use as a shorthand for something, you know, instead of saying that that big tall monk, you know, well we only have one now, but sometime we might have two or five or ten, then the big tall monk with the, and you have to describe them, you know, differently, then you just say the person's name, okay? So, so language, you know, facilitates things, yeah? And, but the thing is, when we forget that we're the one who gave it the label, and we think instead that it has an essence that is that object, some objectifiable basis, you know, that you can find that it's labeled on that and only that. But that's when the grasp of an inherent existence comes in. So we can, we can watch that in our life, you know, how when how we forget that we're the one who gave a label for something. Mm-hmm. There's some discussion now. I was reading because they're redoing the what's the name of the um, D- DSM? DSM. 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 Yeah. So the the thing with the, the the manual with the list of all the psychological disorders. So they're having you know all this discussion because they're trying to incorporate some things into one thing and then take other things and divide it in and then new ones that you invent and and you know the thing is that as soon as you Uh, collect in your mind together a set of symptoms and give it a label then our mind again we tend to forget that we're the ones who gave it the label it becomes very solid and so one of the people who was saying that we need to be careful in doing this was saying especially with children if everything becomes a disorder then you know which is like that you know you have a kid who who speaks up for themselves and now they have defiant disorder you know it's like everything becomes a disorder then you know and especially if you're a child and you get that label then you tend to identify with that and say that is me 
And that's completely wrong, you know. It forms a very incorrect self-image on the part of the person, you know. And the same way that we do when we kind of psychoanalyze people and give them all sorts of labels, you know. This one's, um, you know, bipolar and that one, you know, is, is um, what is it? Borderline, that's it. And, you know, and this one is, you know, and it's like we give them a label and then that's all we see as being that person, you know. And it seems as if it's coming from their side, independent of us. But we're the one who gave that diagnosis, you know. And sometimes we don't even know what the conventional diagnosis qualifications are. I don't like that person, therefore they're borderline. (laughs) Yeah, you know, because we're very used to being kind of our own amateur psychologist. Yeah? Even though I have to say, when I was a child, we didn't have the diagnosis, but we had labels for people like crybabies and bullies and that's that's a very good point actually you know that we co- that when we were kids we didn't have such an extensive thing but there were crybabies and bullies and troublemakers and what accident prone and and oh the one who who, who um, the brown nose yeah and yeah teacher's pet and you know so we were giving all these kind of quote quote diagnoses <laughs> let's hear from the teacher <laughs> Yes. And they milk it for all it's worth. Yep. That's what they believe they are. Yep. So they will just funnel all that energy into those characters. Yep. Yes. Okay, so she said. <laughs> but, you know, then once you're given that label, then as a child you live up to it. And you funnel all your energy into becoming what you think that label is. Because somebody gave it to you and you feel that is you, so you better fulfill it. You know? And so so many kids get trapped in that way. It's really, really unfortunate. It's not just children. I went in a diversity training once where we, one of the exercises was that we all had labels. <laughs> so I don't have to repeat everything. <laughs> so I took a diversity training once where one of the exercises was that each person was given a label just like this. Unlike the, the office bully or the um, you know the office whiner, and, but it was put on your back, so you didn't know what your label was. But everybody in the group, and there are probably ten or twelve in the exercise, relate to you as though you were your label. And within minutes, it was very clear what the relationships were, what the power dynamics were in relationship to people. Um, you know, the boss was clearly labeled the boss, and they start treating you like the boss. You know, you're the boss. So, and you know, you know, you're also the scapegoat. The scapegoat was one of the big ones that we were, and that person just felt like completely belittled and torn down by the end of exercise. It went on for 15 minutes. So the role playing just was so vivid in seeing how we live up to our labels and, and, and treating each other as a label we create, the very monster that we've labeled. So it, was, it, was, it was chilling, actually, to see how we do that. We should do that exercise very sometime here at the Abbey. I yeah. think those kinds of things are quite helpful. Yeah.
<laughs> so I think this is also the idea behind having a pure view is if you give people good labels then you see them in a positive way and when you see them and relate to them in a positive way they have a better chance from their side of becoming like that